Welcome to episode number 16 of Off the Shelf. Welcome to Off the Shelf, a podcast focused on an objective examination of the life and ministry of William Branham. Our goal is for you to know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in the context of scripture and the message of William Branham. We've now reached over 90 countries from Malaysia to Madagascar with our podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a comment on our website. With me today in the studio is, if you can call this a studio, <laughs> is Emily Arndt. Emily is visiting with us from Uganda. Yes. And happy to have her with us. We first met Emily about three and a half years ago when she came up here to visit us. And she has a very interesting story. And I thought it would be interesting for all our listeners to hear what Emily has to say and what her story is. So Emily, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rod. Emily, you're originally from Wisconsin, but you're not there anymore. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you doing now and where are you originally from? Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Wisconsin, uh, born and raised there, grew up on my family's dairy farm and grew up in the message there. Um, then as time progressed, God took me another direction and now I am living in Uganda. I've lived there three and a half years and intend to go back for at least two more years and work at the university there. Uh, I'm a veterinary technician, uh, and so I work with a missionary from the UK. He's a veterinarian, and we work with the veterinary students at the only vet school in Uganda. So I'm based in Kampala, which is the capital city with about one and a half million people. So from farm girl in Wisconsin to giant capital city of an entire country, that's where God's taken me. And yeah, and in a a country that's very different than the United States. Very, very different from the U.S., yes, that's for sure. So you were born in the message. Yes, born and raised in the message. Uh, My parents came into the message about two, three years before I was born. Um, So the message is all I knew growing up. So what was it like growing up in the message as a woman? Well, what's it like not growing up in the message? I don't know. So I only know growing up in the message as a woman. But now, you know, looking back, I see things that I thought were normal weren't quite normal. Um, Just the attitudes towards women. uh, Women shouldn't have an education. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I was blessed that I grew up on a farm, so I had a chance to learn more life skills. So it is very beneficial to me in Africa. But definitely, you know, you should stay at home, cook and sew and be ready to have a family someday. So women shouldn't have an education. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people in the message don't think anybody should have an education (laughs) 
other than to be able to read. And the only reason you want to read is so you can read message books and the Bible with message books coming first, obviously, before the Bible. Uh, that's kind of the attitude that I've seen for the most part in the message. I always really took an interesting approach because I went to school. So I was one of the few people in the message church we were in that actually had a university education for which people would then say, well, you're sure lucky you have such a good job. And it was like luck didn't have anything to do with it. But when I read the quotes, it was like education's of the devil. But William Branham also said that cars were the devil. And he also said clothing was of the devil. So when I had people say, well, you know, you shouldn't go to university. I said, well, you shouldn't wear clothes or drive a car. <laughs> I need to remember that one. I like that. I like that answer. That's a good one. (laughs) But it really is. I mean, if you take the approach, William Brown says, well, it's civilization was of the devil. And as a result of that, education's of the devil. But so are cars. So civilization. So is just about everything we do that's based on technology or civilization. You'd then say, well, you can't use any of it. Of course, people don't want to give up any of that, but they will tell you you can't go to school. It's a good thing that the internet and computers weren't embedded when Branham was around. Otherwise, I don't think many message believers would have much to do in the evenings. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you in the message? I was born in the message and came out when I was around 20, 21 years old. So did you really believe the message when you were in it? <laughs> you know, Rod, that's a question that people like to ask me because, well... If you came out, of course you didn't truly believe it. Of course, you know, you could have never truly believed in the prophet. But yes, I believed in it. I truly believed in it. It was my life. It was my family. It was everything. Why would I have a reason to doubt it and not to believe it? And so with every part of my being, I wanted to believe it. I'd even try to read message books that my mother assigned to me, even though I knew within 15 minutes, I'd probably be trying to fall asleep rather than reading them, but still tried. Were you in any particular flavor of the message? You know, until I came out of the message, I didn't know there were particular flavors. And I don't think I've spent enough time trying to think about what may or may not have been our flavor. I think my mother seems convinced that our particular pastor was his own flavor because she said several times, well, if you'd gone to a different church within the message, you would probably still be in the message. But from what I know of research and looking around and hearing other friends' perspectives of their time in different message churches, no, I would not still be in the message. Was fairly legalistic. I mean, all message churches are legalistic. Some tend to be more legalistic than others. Ours, I would say, was on the more legalistic side. Um, No Christmas tree, no Christmas. I couldn't even be at my grandparents' house when all of my cousins were opening Christmas presents. So that was a very negative um, experience with Christmas that I had to work through years later because so many times Christmas is related to the the childhood memories. Well, then when Christmas would roll around and I was okay with celebrating Christmas, it was really just like psychologically challenging for me 
And it took me a while to realize, wait, Christmas has so many negative connotations. You go to grandma's house, you have a meal, all your family's there. And then there's all these beautiful presents under the tree. And then when it's time to open them, you get dragged out into the car and told you can't open presents with really no explanation. Uh, We couldn't have TV, uh, no music with a beat. And even at one point, the pastor tried to say you could not go to amusement parks, which there was a group of young people in our church that loved amusement parks. So that didn't go very far. Uh, That's interesting. Because William Branham celebrated Christmas. He talked, I mean, it was one of these things where he did one thing and said another. Some people would call that lying, but, or, or being a hypocrite, but he would celebrate Christmas. Kids would, he'd have a tree, his kids would get presents, but then he talked about it so negatively that all his followers now, a lot of them don't celebrate Christmas. It's something we always did as a family because I had such great memories uh, from it, from my childhood, celebrating Christmas with my parents and all of our extended family that I didn't want to take that away from my kids. And so I always, we always celebrated Christmas. We didn't usually have a tree because it would stumble people, but we would do almost everything you could do up to that. What started your journey coming out of the message? I think my journey out of the message was just a lot, a, a series of events. Um, The one event that I can look back to and actually say, yes, this was something that in my journey was very crucial. And when, I don't know if I was maybe around the age 11, 12, uh, but whatever year the Branch Davidians in Waco, the ATF came and surrounded their compound, you know, David Koresh was there. And obviously we couldn't have a TV in our house. But we were at Grandma's house. She was a worldly heathen, so fortunately she had a TV. So what did he do when he went to Grandma's house? He watched TV. Watch TV, absolutely. Because <laughs> it's not at your house, so therefore it's okay. It's okay, yeah. <laughs> but my uncle was there, and we were having dinner. And, of course, the TV is more important than conversation. So we're watching the news. And my uncle makes a comment and said, you know, something like this was happening to a message believer. Uh you know, they might say we're a cult, but we're not a cult because we don't live in a compound and not all message pastors teach the same thing. So we're diverse enough that we're not a strict cult. And so that was it. And in my young brain, I was like, what? But I didn't really question at that point. And years later, God brought that conversation into my mind and I had the word cult. And I said, what is a cult? So I went into the dictionary, kind of before the days of internet, and looked up what a cult was, and was intrigued and terrified and interested enough that it just started raising some questions. Um, Another event is when I was 12, the 26-year-old worship leader at my church uh, became my babysitter. He never had sexual intercourse with me, but was definitely sexually abusive. Uh, Knowing what I know now, working with young people, that is labeled sexual abuse. Heavy petting, inappropriate comments, all kinds of things like that. He should have never been left alone with a 12-year-old girl. Um, So that was part of the journey that just drove me away from the message, though. 
I still wanted to believe the message and at special meetings. I remember one time down in uh, Chicago, it was around the time that Princess Diana had died. There were special meetings in Chicago. And I was like, dear God, please, I want this to be real. Everybody around me, just you can see it's real to them. I want to feel that. I want to know that. And it wasn't there. So I'm like, okay, I'm not getting it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not happy. I'm being a hypocrite. And so that's just started driving me away from the message before I even started doing any research on why is this true? Why isn't this true? It just didn't feel, didn't feel like anything. And I thought if there was a God that I wasn't being Christ-like and I wasn't seeing Christ exampled in front of me in the religion I was in. A couple of things you mentioned, um, talking about a cult. I mean, one of the hallmarks of a cult is that it's a group where they take some inspired writing Mm-hmm. and exalt it to be equal or greater than the Bible. And that is clearly what happens in the message. I know there's a lot of people will say, we're message followers, no, we know the Bibles are absolute, but it's not. And it can't be because you can't disagree with William Branham ever mm-hmm. because he was the seventh church age messenger. He was the Elijah prophet. He was Revelation 10, 7. How do you, how do you not agree with him? So basically anytime you've got a dispute or a, a disagreement between William Branham and the Bible, you'll always go with William Branham. And it's where we get our name for our podcast. People will take something that this passage in the Bible, that they see a differential or some difference between what, what the Bible says, what William Branham says, and they'll put it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Basically saying, I will ignore this portion of scripture and go with what William Branham says. And that's what we're trying to do is take all this stuff back off the shelf and have people at least consider it. Right. With respect to abuse, we've run into it. And that's what started my journey out, not personal abuse, but understanding that someone had been abused in the church and that the ministry was not prepared to do anything about it. Through the abused individual under the bus, so to speak, right. and the abuser, basically, uh, we got a lot of grace preaching in the church, which is very unusual. Like I remember someone telling me, boy, somebody's done something awfully wrong for them to be preaching as much grace as they are, <laughs> which was very true. We didn't right. know what it was at the time, but... And because people in the message don't believe in psychology or counseling, nobody ever gets, none of these problems or the after effects and aftermath of these problems never get dealt with. That's very true. And, you know, if you are abused or something happens, well, especially as a woman, well, maybe you, you know, didn't dress appropriately or it was your problem. It could obviously never be this person's problem. Uh, my family still doesn't acknowledge or believe that the abuse could have happened, even though after I turned 18, I had a chance to confront the abuser and he did acknowledge that his actions were wrong and apologize for it. And he even recognized it as abuse. 
but my my family and even their current pastor and pastor's wife think that I'm just out to make up a story and think I'm just really bitter and, you know, oh, that she's just making up stories. Well, I mean, it's one of the things that I found is when someone leaves the message, the reason can never be the actual reason. Right. So the reason I left the message personally is because I ran across things that I understood William Branham said were visions and the visions weren't fulfilled. They failed. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, when I look in scripture, Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22, requires that I make a decision that, and, and hold William Branham to be a false prophet. In fact, back in Moses' day, William Branham would have been stoned. The issue, I mean, from my perspective, when I, when I look at this, is that I left for reasons that were very clear to me, but none of those reasons are acceptable to anybody in the message. They will say, well, you left the message because you couldn't live up to the standards or you left the message because of X, Y, but it's never the real reason or rarely the real reason because if they actually understood what the real reason was, They'd have to, they actually would have to come to grips with it, and they won't. They're too afraid. And that's a psychological phenomenon, too. Cognitive dissonance. Yep. They want to separate themselves. It's like a son who finds out that there's all this evidence, or, or a father, excuse me. It's like a father who's found all this evidence that his son's a murderer. But he just, well, you know, the police did this with the evidence and they're just trying to frame my son and he won't admit it. They try to just kind of push it off to the side because they don't want to face it because it's going to rock their world and challenge everything that they hold on to. And it's, it's fear that holds them in. We try to keep our podcast under a half hour. So I think we will break off our interview here and continue it next week. If you would like to send us an email, there's a link on the offtheshelf.life website, or you can email me directly at rod at offtheshelf.life. You can also reach Brian at Brian with a Y at offtheshelf.life. The Off The Shelf website also contains a comment section after each podcast. Just click on the title of the podcast. It will take you to the page for that specific podcast. The comment section is at the bottom of the page. Thanks and have a great week, everyone.
Let us go. Amen. Amen. 